You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, you can have a seat there where you are. It's great to see you today. Uh, We're going to be in James chapter 1, so if you want to grab a Bible, it would be helpful. If you had that out and open on your lap, James chapter 1 is where we're going to be. James chapter 1. And let me just go ahead and read James 1, 27 for you one more time. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I want to just kind of address one word in that verse and make sure that we have a good biblical robust understanding of that world not not that wor- uh, word not only in the bible but in the world at large and that word is the word orphan you see it there in James uh, chapter 1 verse 27 and in the Bible, that word orphan is used uh, over 40 times in the Old Testament. And so it could be either orphan or fatherless. So it's used 41 times in the Old Testament and two times in the New Testament. So you see it here in James, and it also uh, shows up in John. So it's used throughout the body or throughout the Bible, typically to, to kind of get at this idea of, can be used in one of two ways. Either to address a person who has lost both parents or who has lost their father. So in the Bible, it could be used to address either one of those two scenarios. Now, more generally in the Bible, it is used to address those in any particular culture and society that are the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. So if this is the the group of people that are vulnerable, it's using this word orphan to address the tip of that spear of vulnerability. That's who the Bible is addressing in that word orphan. Um, and hence, that is the reason in James 1.27, you're visiting them not in their prosperity or their abundance or their safe, secure sort of protection. You're visiting them in their affliction. That is showing us that that word orphan is attached to vulnerability. So in the Bible, you, you see the word orphan oftentimes associated with two other words. So it's kind of like this triad of words. And the words are orphan, Widow, you see that appear in James 1, so orphan and widow. And then you have the word sojourner, or it maybe would be translated foreigner or alien. Those three words combined together, um, orphan, widow, and sojourner, are oftentimes used in the Bible. And again, they're, they're trying to show us the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. Like out of the crew that's vulnerable, these are the people that are the most vulnerable. When sin lands among a group of people, when, when sin hits the fan, these are the group of people that get hurt first. That's orphan in the Bible. Now, let's just kind of back up from the Bible now and think of it in terms of the world. So when you're thinking about what, like, what, maybe you could ask this question. What is the orphan kind of crisis or problem in the world? Um, what does that look like? So this is a really hard number to, to pin down. UNICEF has a, uh, a very wide range that they give uh, like to the number of orphans. It's anywhere between like 120 or 30 million orphans to like 250 million orphans. I think a, a good safe estimate on the orphan issue in the world today would be the number 150 million. 150 million boys and girls right now, present day in the world who would be classified as an orphan. Now just, just think about that for a moment. You know, one of the downsides about using big numbers is that they just, they blow right past us. Just, just think about that for a moment. 
150 million boys and girls in that category of the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. I mean, just take the U.S. population, roughly, uh, you know, 300 million. That would be one out of every two Americans. If we just moved all of that orphan problem into America, one out of every two Americans are represented in that number, 150 million. Now, it's easy as Americans to think about the orphan issue as something that is out there, not over here. So it's easy to think about it in terms of, surely that's an overseas, uh, you know, some other place, probably some sort of third world problem, but it's not a third world problem. It is an every world problem. So our kind of mechanism in our culture for dealing with uh, the orphan problem in America is the foster system. So in the foster system presently right now, there are roughly 500,000 kids. Now just again, think about that. 500,000 kids right now in America are in our foster system, in our orphan care system. Out of that that number, out of that 500,000, roughly 130,000 right now are currently available for adoption, just waiting on a home to go to. Roughly one in five of those 500,000 are right now, present day, available for adoption, just waiting on a home. There are 18,000 kids a year who age out of the foster system at age of 18. So they age out. The prospects for their life, if a kid ages out of the foster system, goes way down. So if they age out of the foster system, um, roughly half of those children won't have a high school diploma or get a GED. So you can just see automatically for a, a kind of a normal child that is raised in a foster system, ages out of the foster system, they are set up for a life that is hard from the get-go. Roughly half will not have a high school diploma or a GED. Almost half, 42%, will be convicted of a violent crime at some point in their life. Of those 18,000 kids a year, roughly half, so almost 9,000 of them, are going to be convicted of a violent crime throughout their life. 20% will be homeless at some point in their life. I mean, you can just see the plight of, of this crew of people is so hard. I mean, it's as if, uh, you know, really not, not because they have asked for it, but life has been set up in such a way where their life has been set onto tracks that are just going to be so, so, so difficult for them. I mean, I, I don't know about you when you just hear that and you just kind of allow your heart to be impacted by that. Man, I can't read those things and think about those things without my heart just blowing up for that. That are just breaking for that. Like when I think about that personally, I can't help but, but put out and kind of work through the scenario of what if in the providence of God, those three little kids I would call my kids right now, that, that the Lord has given to us, what if one of those three kids were not born into my family, but born into a different family? Maybe some way halfway across the world and they're, they're living in an orphanage right now. Or, or what if they're, they're here in America, just born to a different family, and just the cycle of dysfunction and brokenness has just been such that they are born with a mom that um, is on drugs, so instantly ripped out of the family context and placed inside of a foster home. But I can't help but think about, that could be my kid. could be yours. And when, I think when we start thinking about it that way, not just like some bland numbers out there, but personalize that. Man, our heart, my heart begins to break for that. Now, in light of that, here's what I want to do today. I've got a two-point sermon. I want to try to show you God's heart for the fatherless in the scriptures. I want to try to acclimate us to that and kind of reorient us around what the Bible reveals about God's heart for the fatherless. And then I want us to ask the question, what is God's plan to care for the fatherless? 
I mean, how has God ordained the plan to be that he would providentially care for those without moms and dads? What would that be? So I want us to think about those two questions. So here's the first one. God's heart for the fatherless. You can't read the Bible for long without seeing that God has a special care for those who are fatherless. Let me just kind of read through a section of scriptures. We could substitute in another set very easily, but let me just kind of read through some that would kind of acclimate us to that. Psalm 68, verse 5. Now think about what this verse is about to show us. It is about to show us how God likes for us to refer to him. Like how we would refer to God, how we would talk about God, how we would name God. He's naming himself for us. Here's how he does it in Psalm 68, 5. It says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. I mean, in essence, God is saying, this is the way you can refer to me. If you want to think about my name, talk about me like this. I am the father of the fatherless. You, you, can, you can refer to me as that. Or you can refer to me like this, the protector of widows. But God is showing us here that he is deeply intertwined with the plight of the vulnerable. He's deeply intertwined into that crew of people. Um, later on in Exodus, we see, uh, we see God's law. God's law is an expression of God's love. And in God's law, we see that expression of his love play out for the orphan. And listen to how it says it in Exodus chapter 22. This is the first time, Exodus 22, where we see the word orphan or or fatherless appear in the scriptures. Exodus chapter 22, starting in verse 22, says this. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Okay, you see, that's the command. You shall not mistreat them, any widow or fatherless child. Now, listen to the warning. And this warning is serious business here. Listen to the warning. If you do, if, if you mistreat them, if, if you do that, if you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I, God, like the creator of the universe, I, God, will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Now, there are times when you read the Bible, after you read a certain verse and and some places in the Bible, you just need to close your Bible for a minute and you need to sit there and feel what you just read. This is one of those places where you just need to take a moment to feel that. It says, if you mistreat widows and orphans, here's what you can expect from me. You can expect me then to be against you if that's your life. If this is kind of your MO, if this is what you do, then you can expect me to be at odds with you. This is, you don't want to pick a fight with God, but when you mistreat widows and orphans, you are picking a fight with God. That's what he's saying here. It it goes on. Um, In in the acts of God, what, what does God do in the Bible? Listen to how it says it in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. It says, he, talking about God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. This is what he does on behalf of the fatherless. Executes justice. Psalms 146 verse 9. The Lord watches over the the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. This is what the Lord does. So this is his name. He's, He's the father to the fatherless. The protector of widows. This is what he does. He executes justice. He upholds the fatherless and the widows. This is, this is what God's doing right now. 
Um, We go on. God hears the cries of the fatherless and the widows. Psalm 10, verses 16 through 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted, and you will strengthen their heart, and you will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. I love that. I mean, this passage is showing us that God is especially attentive to the cries of the fatherless, the cries of the most vulnerable. And I love Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. I love how God promises to do good to those who bless orphans and widows. Listen to how he says it here. He says, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out of all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, and the fatherless, and the widow who are are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled. You see the picture? You're going to give of your stuff, and these people, the, the, the people who are the most vulnerable, they're going to benefit. They're going to be blessed by your things, by your food. They're going to get to eat and be filled with your food. And then the Lord finishes it by saying this. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Do you see the picture? You're going to bless them, the the most vulnerable, and then God is saying, and then I'm going to bless you. Let's work that arrangement out. You you get your life intertwined with them, protecting them, providing for them, and then I'm going to pour out blessing upon blessing upon you. I mean, this is showing us God's heart for the orphan and the outcast. You know, I mean, I think if you were just summarizing it, when you're reading the scriptures, here's what God is trying to convince us of, that his heart really does bleed and his heart grieves for the orphan. This is God's posture toward them. This is God's heart toward them. God is really, 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 really serious about the care of the orphan. Now, if you want to see that in its brightest colors, you actually have to flip to the New Testament and get to the cross of Christ. The cross is the most vivid display in the Bible of how much God cares for orphans. So here's what we're seeing on the cross. Before the gospel of Jesus Christ is every good news, before it's ever good news, it's first bad news. And here's the bad news. The bad news is every human being has fired the first shot at God. We've thrown the first punch at God. This is your story. This is my story. This is the universal human story. And our sin has has created the dynamic that our relationship with God is now broken. We were in the family of God, Genesis 1 and 2. And because of sin, we have now been kicked out of the presence of God, been kicked out of the family of God. See, the orphan crisis isn't just like a physical crisis with a couple of, you know, several million children. It's not that. It's actually much bigger than that. The orphan crisis is a universal issue. The the truth is we're all spiritual orphans. That's the universal problem with every human being. Like what sin has done is create a worldwide orphanage. This is the spiritual condition of every human being. And now hear this. As, As desperate and dark as the plight is for physical orphans, those who right now don't have a mommy and a daddy, as desperate and dark as the plight is for those children, the plight of spiritual orphans is actually much worse. Like, like, the, the plight for physical orphans, that, the, the road that they're on is going to a really difficult place. But the plight of, of spiritual orphans is going to a much worse place. That the tracks that spiritual orphans are on is they are headed straight toward the wrath of God. 
straight toward an eternity apart from God forever. That's the plight of spiritual orphans. This is the universal problem that every human being has. We're all, in a sense, in the orphanage, in our sin, running from God, rebelling against God. And then when you flip to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you get to the end of the story and you see Jesus, a bloody mess on a cross, here's what that is trying to convince us of. God is saying, do you see that picture of Jesus hanging on a cross? That is how much I love orphans. That, that is my care of the orphan. I, am, I love the orphan so much that I will lose my beloved son Jesus to bring them in. I will sacrifice my beloved son Jesus so that I can save orphans like you and, and me. I, I will literally abandon my son Jesus so that I can now adopt men and women, spiritual orphans, just like you and me into my family. The cross of Christ is like the brightest display of God's just providential and unending love for the orphan. Um, a pastor friend of mine, if you've been around here for long, it's probably three or four years ago, I mentioned this story. But I have a pastor friend who told the story of a couple in his church that were to the final stages of adopting um, a baby. And the baby had not yet been born. But the birth mother um, had realized her limits and was placing her child, even before the, the child was born, placing that child for adoption. And so this couple in, in my pastor friend's church, um, they were to the final end. They're just waiting for the phone call that she's going into labor and the baby is here. She, they're just waiting for that day. And finally that day arrives. They get the phone call, the baby has arrived, and then they get the chilling news that there are serious um, medical defects with this child. And their heart just sinks. I mean, in that moment, they are just, I mean, just picture that moment. You just get that news and just the grief and the, I mean, it was just a pick them up off the floor moment. And they had one night to decide if they were in or out on this adoption. Were they going to hang in there and, and do it or not? So they are praying. They're, they're begging the Lord for clarity. I mean, they're, they're just before the Lord and, and they fall asleep that night. And that night, the, the mom, uh, the, 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 you know, the pers prospective adoptive parent, that, that mom, had this dream. She has this dream of this massive stadium full of, uh, you know, parents who are kind of maybe thinking about adoption. They're there because they're prospective adoptive parents. And, and in the middle of this big stadium is this massive stage. And all of a sudden they would bring a baby out and they would hold this baby up and somebody out of that stadium would stand up and say, I'll take that baby. And then they would bring the next baby in. And another one would stand up, I'll, I'll take that one. And then another one would come in and another person stands up, I'll take that one. And you just got this frenzy created with all of these beautiful, precious babies that are holding them up. And you just got this whole moment of all of these parents saying, I want that one. And then all of a sudden they bring in a baby that's not so lovely. A baby that's not so cute. A baby that's got all sorts of problems. A baby that's stuck in its mess. And all of a sudden, the stadium goes absolutely silent. Where, where this frenzy, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, was going on. Now everyone is absolutely silent and no one says a word. And all of a sudden in her dream, it's as if this camera zooms in on this little baby that's, that's, that's been hauled out into the middle of the stage. Now nobody wants. And she realizes that's her. She's the baby. She's the unlovely baby that nobody wants, that nobody in this crowd is saying, I'll take that one. Nobody's standing up saying, I want her. And then all of a sudden, this one man stands up 
And she says, it's as if the camera zooms in over on this man and she realizes, that's Jesus. And in that moment, he looks at this unlovely baby on the stage and says, I'll take that one. That one's mine. Now hear me. If you are in Christ, that is your story. You, unlovely baby, stuck in your mess, stuck in your sin, in rebellion against God, and God looking at you and saying, I want that one. That one's mine. And if you're here today and there's never been a moment where you have stepped across this decisive line with Jesus, where you have trusted him, where you have thrown your life upon him, where you have turned from your sin and held up your life and said, God, I am trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for rescue. That, that, I'm banking on that alone. If there's never been that moment, God the Father is saying, I'd love to make you mine today. I'd love to make you mine today. I, I love how one of my friends says it. This is his summary of the gospel. We're all idiots. There's an incredibly bright future in Jesus and anyone can get in on this. Now I just want you to know, if you're here and you're still kicking the tires on this, you can get in on this. I mean, it is as if the Lord today is saying, I would love to have you in my family. C come on in, I would love that. This is God's heart for the fatherless. Now the question becomes, what is God's plan to protect the fatherless? So if God has a heart for the fatherless, what is God actually going to do about providing for and protecting the fatherless? How is that going to show itself? Answer. This is what the Bible is showing us. Yes, God has a heart for the fatherless. What is God's plan to protect the fatherless? Answer is God's people are God's plan. Like just hold up a mirror in front of yourself. That's the plan for God to protect the orphan and the outcast. That for the most vulnerable people in our society to be protected, the plan for that is not a government. The plan for that is, is not a group of people out there. The plan for that is Jesus' people, the church. We are the plan for God's protection and his provision for the orphan and the outcast. This is what James 1.27 is trying to show us. Here is God's plan. Religion could be used for worship. Same word, religion or worship or faith. Religion or worship that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So here's the big idea of this text. He's saying, do you want to know if your faith is for real? Do you want to know if there is a genuineness to this thing for you? Here's how you can know. Is your life intertwined with the vulnerable? Is your life intertwined with the outcast? Have you pushed in your life with the orphan? He's saying, that's how you can know. It's your life moving in that direction. And, and, and I love how he says it. It's visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. That's how you can test it. Is this for real or not? Now, I love that word visit in, in James 1.27. That has all sorts of redemptive overtones to it. That should take you back, if you've read the Old Testament, that would take you back to the story of Exodus. And here's how Exodus chapter 4, verse 31 reads. It says, the Lord had visited, same word, same word used in, in James chapter 1. The Lord had visited the children of Israel. They're in Egypt in all of this misery and affliction and slavery. The Lord had visited the children of Israel in, in Egypt and he had looked upon their affliction. See, here's what it means to visit. 
See, the, the Lord didn't, in, in Exodus, you know, the story of Exodus, the, the story of Exodus is God's prototype for redemption. It is the story in the Old Testament that shows us what Jesus has accomplished for us. And in this story, it's not as if, you know, the Lord just kind of kept himself safe and at arm's length from the problem of the people of Israel. That's not how the story goes. The story rather goes like this. This is what it means to visit. It is the Lord rolling up his sleeves and getting his hands dirty in the affliction and misery of the people of Egypt, or the people of Israel. That's what it looks like for God to visit them. Now let's apply that to orphan care. What does it mean for us to visit orphans and widows? It means that we are not standing back at a safe distance, kind of keeping our life immune from their brokenness. That is not visiting them. Visiting orphans and widows means that we are moving our life into their brokenness. And hear this, anytime you move your life into brokenness, guess what happens to you? You get broken. That's what it means to visit orphans and widows. It means that you are willing to move your life into their life, into their brokenness, to the point that you inevitably will be broken along the way. That's visiting. That's what the Lord is encouraging you. That's what the Lord is saying. This is the genuineness of your faith. If you want to see it, if you want to test it, are you visiting? Are you moving your life into the brokenness around you? Now, I want to just have a moment here, a little bit of a side note. And I, I want to make sure, because I, from my experience, as we've talked about these sort of things, it seems that most people have some sort of like rosy colored glasses as they think about orphan care. And I want to just have a moment where we remove the rose-colored glasses and we put on realistic glasses. And here's the realistic picture of orphan care. When you move into the brokenness of people that are broken, you're going to be broken. Let's just apply that in two different directions. Let's say you move into the orphan care issue by adoption. If that's you, it's just a matter of time before you are broken in that. You are embracing risk when you do that. Um, listen to how Rosaria Butterfield in her book, um, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, listen to how she talks about this. This is on the adoption side of it. Let's listen to the, to the embracing of risk, the embracing of rejection, the embracing of heartbreak that, that you have whenever you move into adoption. She says it this way. She says, adoption is not a pathology that marks and plagues people and families for their whole life. In other words, Adoption is not something that a person cannot be healed from. All the damage and all the wounds that come along with that. That it doesn't mark you forever. We have a God who can redeem the worst of our pains, right? So it doesn't mark you, our whole, you know, their whole life. But, and here's the, the big but here. But adoption is a complex and paradoxical event. It is complex and paradoxical that combines now listen to what it's combined. This is why it's complex and paradoxical. Adoption combi combines these two realities, loss, brokenness, and rejection on one hand with gain, connection, and embrace on the other. In adoption, a, a child's life is, is embracing both of those two things, loss and rejection, all these things on one side, and then you've got this other gain and all these wonderful things on this side. And somehow in adoption, all of that's being brought together. Now listen to what it goes on to say. No child, this is, this is why it's complex and paradoxical. No child asked to be adopted. No child asked for incompetent or rejecting birth parents. No child asked to be constantly told how lucky he or she is to be adopted. Wanted or not, adoption always starts with loss. I hear that. 
As great as the gain can be down the road for a child, it always starts with loss. Adoption always combines ambiguous loss with unrequested gain. An adopted child faces this paradox, this ambiguous grief at each stage of development. In other words, this paradoxical kind of loss and gain thing is revisited in each kind of milestone in life. She goes on. His or her family must choose to either welcome the complexity in this child's life or make the child go it alone. Do you see the difficulty just embedded into this? This is really hard labor. This is really hard love. His or her family must choose to either welcome the complexity or make the child go it alone. We choose to to walk alongside our children even as we don't always understand how deep or how raw that complexity rests. And listen to what she goes on to say. This journey of adoption, this journey is frightful. At its core, it's this. Do I love Jesus enough to face my children's potential rejection of me? Welcome to adoption. Welcome to the embrace of risk and loss and heartbreak and all of those things that come along with entering into orphan care. You sign up for that, you move into that brokenness, and it's just a matter of time in various ways that your own heart gets broken in that. So, listen, okay, that's adoption, that side of it. Let me apply it to foster care. Um, many of you know um, Laura and I's story over the last year or so. About a year ago, we uh, got our first foster placement. Um, just, I mean, precious twin two-year-old boys that are just... Oh, they are precious. And uh, they were in our house for um, nine, ten months, something like that. And uh, a couple of months ago, they went back to be with a, kind of a distant family member. They probably met that family member, I think, probably once before they moved into that home. And uh, just a really hard, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, I mean, it's the Lord teaching me this. When you, when you embrace orphan care, you are embracing brokenness around you, and that brokenness is going to break you. Now, just to give us all hope in the midst of that, we have found that in that brokenness, the Lord has met us in such great and surprising ways, in ways that we would have never have dreamed the Lord meeting us. I had this moment um, about a week before uh, the boys left when I had uh, the boys and Eva, our youngest, and I was at Chick-fil-A. Laura was actually at an urgent care getting her knee x-rayed. She broke her knee. I'm at Chick-fil-A when all that's going down. And I've got the three young ones uh, there, and they're in the playground doing all that. And I am reading Rosaria's book at this time, uh, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. I I was reading it not knowing that a good portion of the book dealt with their story of adoption and foster care. So I had no idea that. So I'm, I'm a week out of, you know, these boys leaving our home, and I come across her experience with the exact same thing happening. Them opening up their home, them them having a child in their home, and then the child leaving to go to a a family member. And listen to what she said. I'm reading this a week before in Chick-fil-A, and listen to how she describes her experience with this. She says, the day they took S, that's just her abbreviated form of talking about the child that was in their home. The day they took S away, we found on our porch an expansive takeout bag from the restaurant, Red Hot and Blue, including my favorite banana pudding. And with that, we found this note, scribbled in pencil, with a child's drawing of a flower with a petal falling off. The note read, A family that never opens its heart never feels heartbroken. A family that never welcomes in others never misses them when they leave. A family that never embraces life's risk 
never really lives. Thinking of you all on this tough day with love from the many, many people whose lives you've touched and who love you all. Man, I, I got to that part, and man, I am ugly crying in the middle of Chick-fil-A. Man, it is awkward for everyone around me. Like, what is going on with this guy? And then the next line read like this. She goes on. I don't know who penned the note or drew the picture, but the note captures for me an often overlooked spiritual truth. Betrayal and risk. You could put a lot of other words in there like rejection, heartbreak, difficulty. She says betrayal and risk are at the heart of the gospel life. So when you're embracing orphan care, you are embracing brokenness. That brokenness inevitably is going to to break you. And all the things that come along with that breaking of you, betrayal, risk, heartbreak, loss, all of those things, it is as if Jesus is saying, walk with me there. I would love for you to enter into that with me. And and here's here's the promise I'll make with you. In the middle of that loss and betrayal and heartbreak and all of those things, man, I'll meet you right there. But it is the Lord saying, yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it's going to be heartbreaking. Yes to all of that. Welcome to a life that centers on the gospel. Welcome to a life that looks like mine. I would love to walk with you down that road. Now, let me just do a moment here of of kind of painting the, the orphan care picture for us. Painting the picture. Here's locally in our area kind of the picture that, that's drawn here. Right now in the Texas area, we'll start with Texas. There are 16,676 children in foster care in Texas right now. Um, just as, as a quick note here, 41% of those children in foster care in Texas are Hispanic uh, children who speak Spanish. And one of the greatest needs in the foster system is parents who speak Spanish so that there will be enough homes for the Spanish-speaking kids. Right now, that is a great need in Texas. So 16,676 children in foster care right now. Currently in the DFW area, there are 3,398 kids right now in foster care. Um, The DFW area has moved into crisis mode in terms of foster care because there's not enough foster homes right now to meet that need. So we're officially in what they would call crisis mode in the CPS world. In the state of uh, Texas right now, there are 6,580 children currently waiting adoption. So they are eligible for adoption. All they're waiting for is a family who is willing to step into that need. 6,580 children. Right now in the DFW area, there are 1,093 children right now in our area. Like draw a map around Midlothian in like a 30, 35 mile you know, radius. There's 1,093 kids in the foster system right now, and they're just waiting for a family. They're available right now for adoption. They're waiting for a family to step into that need. That is the current situation right now. And I just can't help but look at that and think, God's heart's breaking over that. Absolutely breaking over that. Now, let me just wrap James 1 back into this. If that is the test of genuine like faith, genuine worship, genuine kind of walking with God is that you're embracing God's heart for the orphan, the outcast, the most vulnerable, and you're moving into that brokenness. What would you, like what, if that's our, if that's our litmus test, if, that is, if that's one way we can evaluate the genuineness of our faith, what would James 1.27 be saying about yours? What would it be saying? In light of that need in our area right around us, what, what would, 
What would your moving toward brokenness or lack thereof be saying about your heart with God right now? Now, I'm just inviting you to wrestle with that, for all of us to wrestle with that question. And here's the big ask that I want to make to everyone in the room. Here's the big ask. Here's the one question I want you to really wrestle through, really want you to deal with. In light of that need, for you to get before the Lord and to honestly ask him, Father, would you have my life intertwined in a very direct way in the orphan care issue through adoption or fostering? Would you have my life intertwined in that sort of a way? Is this something that you would want for for our life? And listen, not everyone in our church family is going to say yes to that. But many in our church family, the Lord's going to be working right now and start convincing and starting the journey kind of down that road. Father, would you, would you have our lives, my, my family, if I'm single, my, my particular life, how would you want that intertwined in the orphan care issue? And would you want adoption and or foster care as the primary outlet for that? Would you want that for, for our family? Now, I am praying that everyone in our church will wrestle through that question. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to a, it's kind of a moment like this, it is so easy for a church to cast vision for orphan care, to unpack the kind of the theological significance of adoption, spiritual adoption, and, and to kind of show the play out of that into horizontal adoption and foster care and orphan care engagement. It's so easy for us to do that and even for families to say, man, I think I'm in. But it's a whole different thing for a church to get on the ground with its people and to help in very practical ways that are needed for you to do this journey well, adoption and or foster care. Now, that is why we have an orphan care team at Stonegate. It is a team of people that are designed, their purpose is to help men and women just like you who are thinking, man, God may be leading me down this way. It's a team of our people who are committed to helping you in that journey. Like pre-adoption or foster care, as you're going through it, and then while you're in the throes of it. A team designed for that. And we've got a video where Jessica Wiseman, who is the point person for our orphan care team, is going to kind of unpack what that team does. So with that said, why don't you turn your eyes to the video and we'll take a look at that. With that in mind, under your seat, you should see a card like this, something like that right there. Why don't you grab that card under your seat really quickly. And uh, I want to give you a minute just to look over the back side of that card. And on the back, you're going to see various ways that a person might be um, engaging in orphan care. And so there's, there's various ways here. Everything from actually moving in and like with the direct sort of like adoption, fostering, like I'm in on that level. Um, for others, it may be respite care, which is such a huge need in our area. Um, for others, it may be babysitting, among other things. And so if, it, it, as you're praying and just asking the Lord, what, what is it that you would want from me? We would love for you to fill this card out and give that back to us. If you know today, like, where it is the Lord has you, you can fill it out now. As we pass the offering basket around at the end of the service, you can put this card in the basket. If you need a week or two to pray over that, we'd invite that. Um, But we would love for you to do some hard work before the Lord, asking the Lord to clarify what it is that he would want from you. Fill this card out and then get that back to us. We, We would absolutely love to begin that journey of walking beside you. Now, I wanna end our service by doing two things. And here's the first one. Um, If you are in the room and you have been already in like adoption world, fostering world, like you have moved into that world, you you have pushed your chips in and you are engaging on that level already. Like you've already been there, done that. Maybe you're doing it right now. Um, Or if you are heading in that direction, 
So you feel like the Lord is, is moving you in that direction. Maybe you're respite certified and you're engaging on that level. If that's you, will you just, where you are, stand up for us? We just want to take a moment to acknowledge those people. And if that's you, just stand up there where you are. Awesome. 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 And just remain standing just for a, just remain standing just for a, a moment. I just want y'all to know, I want to just say this to you publicly, that as a church family, we are so appreciative of you. And we're praying that we would be good friends to you and a good church that can serve you in that journey that you're on. And we want to be, we want to be there in the trenches, that down in there on the daily level with you to serve you in a really practical way. And so we're looking forward to that journey with you. So with that said, I want to just take a moment to pray for, for you guys. Father, would you please bless these families? Father, I pray that you would bless them as they are blessing orphans. Lord, would you, would you just open up heaven and dump grace into their life? And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom as a church family, what it looks like to walk beside them. It's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. And lastly, I want to read you a story from a lady in our church that has been involved with CPS for a good while, worked for CPS for a while. Um, she has now moved on and doing something different. But I want to read you a story that she recently sent me. She sent me an email and it said, I want to tell you a story. When I worked for CPS, I got to know an 11-year-old girl. She was bright, inquisitive, cute as a button, and on my caseload for two years. Right after New Year's, I was driving her back to her foster home after a visit with her family. And I asked her on that drive back, what's the worst thing that's happened to you over the last year? She replied, I was taken from my family and went into foster care. That's the worst thing. And then I asked, what was the best thing that happened to you over the last year? She answered, I learned about Jesus and was taken to church by my foster parents. I then asked, why do you think the worst thing happened? And she said, I think the worst thing happened so that the best thing could happen. So I could learn about Jesus and I could become a Christian. Ten months later, she was reunited with her birth mom. And the, the lady that sent me this said, I, I thank God on a regular basis that he found fit to put this precious 11-year-old on my caseload. It's an ongoing reminder of the difference godly, Jesus-loving foster parents can make in a child's life. She may not have been adopted by that family, but the impact they have had on her will last not just for this life, but for all eternity. My prayer for Stonegate is that there would be hundreds of stories just like this, and that the foster care community would notice a difference in how kids are loved and cared for by families at Stonegate. Isn't that your heart too? Let's pray together. I just want to give you a moment to allow the Lord to talk to you and to press into you the things that would be most helpful, to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. And We have the privilege this morning of ending our service by taking communion. And communion is this moment where we are remembering the good news of Jesus. As we dip the bread into the juice, we are remembering his body that was crushed and broken for us. His blood that was spilt for us. It is a tangible reminder this morning of just how much God loves the outcast and the orphan. And if you're in Christ this morning, it's a tangible reminder of just how much the Lord has loved you when you were a spiritual orphan.
And so let me remind you that communion is for those who are in a relationship with God. In other words, there was a defining moment in your life where you turned from your sin and threw your life upon Jesus and he rescued you. It's for those people. And if you're in the room still kicking the tires on Jesus, still asking questions about him, still trying to figure that out, then we just want to beg you, this would be such a great morning to take Christ before you take communion. And we, we would love to celebrate you pushing your chips in with Jesus, throwing your life upon him. And if that's you, we want to know that this morning. We'll have some guys back at the back of the room at the prayer table, and we would love to celebrate that with you this morning. And for the rest of us in the room, communion is not just for those in relationship with Jesus. It's for those who are in a right relationship with Jesus. If there's any known sin in your life, what a great morning to turn from that sin and to turn back to Jesus. There's any place in your life where you are harboring sin, keeping hold of sin. And this is your moment before you take communion to deal with that. And so, Father, would you please now come in a really special and powerful way as we take communion and remind us of Jesus. Remind us of his life lived for us, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and all of the life that flows from that. It's in your good name that we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.